Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hune. Our mission is to help you gain your freedom from the exhausting, never-ending corporate rat race. Because time is our most valuable asset. And life's just too short to do work we hate. Thanks for slowing down. All right, welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everyone. My guest today is Dr. Sharon Grossman. And this is a special conversation for me. And if you tend to get stressed and anxious about your work, I think it'll be pretty special for you as well. Um, Dr. Grossman is at the forefront of thought leadership on what I think is an incredibly important topic for our society. Um, Our work is an essential part of what makes us human. So we should strive to do work that charges our battery versus draining it and uh, versus something that's going to ultimately burn us out. So Dr. Sharon, thanks so much for joining me today. How's it going? Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. I am excited to dive into this topic, which, as you mentioned, is actually really important uh, because, as we know, it's affecting the majority of workers, at least at some point in their career. I've heard a statistic as high as 77 percent, and it's costing companies over $300 billion a year. So this is serious stuff. Wow. Over $300 billion a year. That's pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. Um, So your backstory is interesting in that you haven't experienced burnout yourself. You started out as a therapist and you had the self-awareness to know that you might be prone to burnout. So you intentionally avoided a career that might induce it. And now you're training Fortune 500 companies on how to address corporate burnout. So first, would you say that's a fair representation of of your past? And then second, can you dive in a little bit and tell us more about your journey to where you are today? Sure. So I would say it's not that I picked a career that avoided burnout, because I think in any career, you are prone to burnout. So it's not just the career, right? It's kind of like the marriage. It's kind of how you show up. It's a lot of factors. So we'll talk about that. But um, my backstory is that when I, before I started actually working, when I was still a grad school, I, I was training to be a psychologist. So I was a grad student of psychology. I attended the annual conference for the American Psychological Association. And I uh, went to a session that was headed up by a guy who was a psychologist in private practice. And that session was all about the risks that you run in private practice of burning out because you're seeing patient after patient, you're working alone, you don't have a team around you. And so it's a factory and you you end up very frequently burning out. And I remember thinking at that time, well, that's not going to happen to me because I'm not going into private practice. I got nothing to worry about. Right. So I I graduate from school. I get a job at a nonprofit and I'm like, this is great. I got a team. I've got didactics, which I really loved. Um, So I didn't really have to worry about it, you know, as far as I was concerned, because that wasn't part of the recipe. Um, But I'd been there for a number of years, kind of fast forwarding the story. And I got to a point where, I didn't have anywhere else to go uh, other than management, which I didn't want to do. So I started looking elsewhere, like where else can I go? And I'm, I'm always leading Brian from this value of lifestyle. That's always been really important to me, which 
by the way, sounds nice, but it also comes with a lot of sacrifices. So, you know, as I'm looking around at all these potential job opportunities, I'm disqualifying them one after the next for different reasons. It's like, this one's too long of a commute. I don't want to sit in traffic for like an hour and a half each way to work. Like, that's just not part of the lifestyle that I want. This one's going to require nights and weekends. This one's going to require really long hours, whatever, like whatever it was, it's the wrong population. I was disqualifying everything that I came across. And then I realized that whatever I wanted didn't really exist. So I needed to create it. And basically that brought me back to the idea of going into private practice, right? So now it's like years later. And then I remember that session that I had attended years before at the conference. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this smart because I know what the risks are. And so I'm looking for an office space for my practice. And I decided on a spot that was a 10 minute walk from my gym. And then what I did was because I'm in charge of my own schedule at this point, I scheduled my patients in batches. So I'd come in nine o'clock in the morning. I'd see my morning batch. Then I would get caught up on all the paperwork and then I would have a very long break. So I would go to the gym, come back, have lunch, and then see my afternoon batch of patients, do all my notes, and then go home. So I didn't have to do crazy hours. I never had to work weekends. I didn't have a long commute. I got my workout done in the middle of the day, and I never had to take paperwork home. And luckily for me, me. that worked because I never really experienced the burnout. And then a couple of years or so into that into that process, maybe three years into it, I decided that, you know, the people that I was helping, I would say primarily were, were experiencing a lot of depression, anxiety, and trauma. Those were like the big three. And um, I started doing some research on burnout because nobody was really talking about it. This is 2018. And as I did more and more research, I understood like what were the symptoms, uh, what was going on for people. And so I started listening to my clients with a different ear. And as they started to talk about all the things that were stressing them out, how exhausted they were, et cetera, I would say, you know, it sounds like you're burning out because now I understood what it was. I knew what to look for. Right. And then I realized that so many of, of us out there in the world, don't know what burnout is. We've heard the word. I mean, especially now since COVID, right? It's become something that everybody's talking about. Um, but a lot of times we don't really mm -hmm. know when we've crossed the line from just feeling like stressed, overwhelmed, anxious, like all these terms that we always throw around to actually being burned out. And so when I would say that to my patients, I would say, you know, it sounds like you're burned out or you're in the process. They'd be like, oh, that makes sense, right? It's almost like I gave them the word that describes their situation that they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And so after having that experience, I said to myself, you know, I have to make it my mission to go out there and educate people on what to look for, because if we don't know what it is, we can't intervene early. We can't show up and do things differently, make different decisions and possibly prevent it from getting worse because we don't even know that we're in it. 
right? So that that's kind yeah. of a little bit of the backstory. So, Sharon, you mentioned something there about how you just gave them that word that they were looking for and they couldn't really put a finger on it. And it seems like to me, you almost like gave them the permission as well to say, yeah, this is something that's happening to me in my career. There's not, it's not that there's something wrong with me, right? Like for the longest time, I felt like, God, there's something wrong with me. I just need to suck it up. I just need to work harder. Like everyone else is happy. Everyone else has their stuff together. There's something wrong with me. So would you say there was a sense of that as well? Like giving that them that permission to kind of be more empathetic towards themselves? I mean, I think that's always an important thing for us. And I think that in this culture, we're not really taught to do that. I mean, outside of therapy, right? Like if you, they're lucky if they're in therapy because they have those conversations, but we don't really learn about this stuff in school. Like people don't talk about empathy. Um, I remember, I didn't even know what the word was for the longest time. And I remember, I don't know, maybe when I was, a teenager or a young adult, um, one time my mom was having this conversation and she said, you know, the one thing that I wanted to raise my kids to have is empathy. And I'm like, this is the first time I'm hearing this word. Like, what is this thing? You know? Um, and then of course, as you're studying psychology, you learn about that stuff, but, but no, I, I think it's missing for a lot of people. And I think that we feel it for other people, even if we don't know what it is, but we're really hard on ourselves for some reason. And um, I, I don't know why we have that double standard, but it seems like that's a thing. The other thing that you mentioned there that I, I really enjoyed hearing about was how um, you kind of like went through a process of elimination with figuring out the right career for you, right? You looked at the negatives and said, no, that's not for me. No, that's not for me. And then eventually you kind of settle in on what is the right fit. And that's where I was kind of alluding to. I felt like when I heard your story that you had more self-awareness than most people, certainly more self-awareness than, than I did, because I was just trying to chase, like, what's the career where I'll, where I'll be viewed as successful, you know, and I'm going to go after that career. So I, I was trying to chase something versus eliminating to find the right thing. So would you say that's just something that's kind of inherent in the way you think about things in general, or was that something that you were more um, kind of intentional about? I would say I just the way my brain works. And if you've, if you've ever worked with me, you probably know this is I just happen to be a very strategic thinker and I am an emotional person, meaning that I can feel empathy for people, but I don't, get usually very overwhelmed by emotions. Cause I remember when I was a, a psychologist and I was seeing patients and stuff, people would say like, how could you do this work listening to people's problems all day long? Like, doesn't that depress you? Doesn't <laughs> that get you down? And I'd be like, no, cause I don't look at it like that. I look at it like they're coming in and they're feeling whatever they're feeling and I'm there to help them. And you know, it's about uplifting people. I don't get dragged down by it, you know? So I think yeah. there is something, there's some sort of a filter there maybe, I don't know, but it's just the way that I'm wired, I guess, where I, um, I'm just always, I'm, I'm in problem solving mode all the time. So I've experienced burnout. Um, in fact, I experienced it pretty hard. So 
I was wondering if I could share a little bit about my experience and maybe you could do a little high level coaching on this. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So for me, I think there were three things really that that kind of drove my burnout. One was I'm this kind of person that never really felt like I fit in. Like even if I go back to my childhood in high school, I never had like one group of friends. I was always bouncing around from one group to the next, trying to sort of figure out and I, I couldn't figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. And then that carried into my career where I chose my career based on what I thought others would view me as a success, you know, if I was in that career, um, which to, you know drove me into finance because people in finance make a lot of money and I wanted people to think I was successful and I wanted to fit in. So that's number one. The second thing is that I'm a very emotional person. Like, like I've always been referred to as dramatic. You know, people will make fun of me. And what I'm learning now is that, you know, myself and others who are similar to me, we just kind of experience the world a little bit more intensely than, than other people. And then um, the, the third thing was just always kind of feeling like I wasn't enough. You know, like I had something to prove and therefore I was always seeking external validation versus following my intuition. So is that mm-hmm. summary kind of something that you hear pretty often from people who experience burnout or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, first of all, thank you for sharing that because I mean, obviously you have to be really vulnerable to put that out there. Um, and and I think it's needed because this is the truth, right? And a lot of us feel this way, but we don't talk about it. Um, so you're giving voice to a lot of people's experiences. I would say that, um, yeah, so the way that to help you and to help the listeners kind of think about burnout from the way that I think about it, I think would be really helpful. Um, I came up with these three profiles, right? And I'm uh, what I'm suggesting is that burnout happens for a variety of different reasons, but it happens differently for everyone. So Yes, what you described is not uncommon, but there it's one version of several versions that are out there. And we have to understand what leads to burnout because we hear like somebody might be listening to this and they hear your story and they're like, that's not what I experienced. Does that mean I'm not burned out? Does that like, what does it mean? Right. And it's like, no, burnout Mm -hmm. doesn't happen. It's not a one size fits all kind of a problem. And the reason I came up with this model is because I want people to find themselves in the model because it's different for, for you than from other people you might know, um, and then be able to create a customized recovery solution based on your version of it, right? So really quick, I'd like to give just a quick overview of what these three profiles are. Um, and, and, I will say, and I will say those profiles are about aspects of your personality, right? What do you bring to the table that maybe when you're in stress mode, problematic and can lead to burnout. But I also want to preface that by saying that it's not just these things. There are situational factors that also contribute to our stress, right? And that could be like if you're working in a toxic environment, if you have, um, I was gonna say like a narcissistic boss, but that probably qualifies for a toxic environment. So there's kind of work related things that are problematic. Like maybe there's like really high demands and very low resources. So you feel like you don't have enough to work with. If there's like really unrealistic expectations, like that you're going to work 
you know, 24 seven, that you're always available, um, things like that. So culture related things to the workplace, but then there's things that we have in our personal life. Like if you have health issues that you're contending with while you're trying to get your job done, even if it's a great workplace, what if you were just diagnosed with cancer and that's a whole emotional roller coaster or, um, your loved one is having some sort of a battle or you're a parent and you've got special need kids or, you know, a hundred other things like you're, you have aging parents and, you know, a parent dies or, you know, there's so many things that we experience as human beings that are stressful and it doesn't have to be in the workplace, but we carry that stress into our work and it can absolutely affect us. So there's those situational factors, right? And then we also have our own stuff that we bring from childhood. Now you brought in an example, like you never felt like you fit in. So all of these early life experiences now shape how we show up at work. It means that you have certain beliefs that you hold about yourself and that creates a filter through which you see the world as things unfold currently. Um, so for instance, and, and I completely relate to that story that you shared about not feeling like you fit in because I, that's how I felt Brian growing up. I didn't feel like I fit in. Hmm. I was an immigrant. I came in at the age of eight into a private school with kids that were in a different socioeconomic level than me, who had a different upbringing than me, different cultural values, diff different language, different everything. And I did not fit in. I didn't feel like I was part of that. So I carry that too, you know? And when I go somewhere, it's always kind of there on some level. Like, I'm always kind of feeling it out, right? I think I've done a lot of work on myself where I feel more comfortable and I uh, have come out of my shell a lot. Like I used to be a super introvert and now I'm kind of like more in the middle of the spectrum between introversion and extroversion. I'm what we call probably an extroverted introvert, right? Where like I can, mm -hmm. I can go up on stage and I can do a keynote in front of people. Um, but then I'm exhausted and I just need to recover because that's not what yeah. fuels me. It's like me draining my energy to to do the work and then I got to go back and retreat to like recharge, right? So we have to know these things about ourselves. Um, so yeah, so those are the things. There's the, just to recap, our situational stressors. There's the things that we carry from our early childhood experiences that kind of shape how we think, how we feel, um, how we filter information. And then we have our personality. And so then I further break that down into these three types. And so the first one is what I call the thinker. And those are people who tend to be very much in their heads. They run technically higher on anxiety than the other two types. So they're constantly in the future, either catastrophizing or an example of that would be somebody who has imposter syndrome. They're always worried about tomorrow is going to be the day that they let me go. Uh, feeling like, again, like you don't fit in, right? That's why they're going to let you go. Cause you know, you're really not that good. You don't deserve to be there kind of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. so there's that kind of anxiety. There's the perfectionists who feel like no matter what they do, it's never good enough. So they're always having to push and push and push and it's exhausting. Um, you've got, Obviously, procrastination is something that happens when you're always trying to do something um, to the best degree, but then you can't 
focus on the 12 other things on your to-do list. So then you're honing in on the one. And then meanwhile, all this other work is piling up on your desk. So that's a thing that then becomes overwhelming. Uh, It's the constant questioning of yourself. Like, am I making the right decision? What if I do this? And then this bad thing happens and you're constantly like in the, in the anxiety mode. So those are the overthinkers, right? As you can imagine, they burn out because of all of those different things that I just mentioned, right? Because they're overperfecting because they have uh, too much self-doubt because they're worried about all of these bad, like the, the shoe's going to drop, right? Or something bad's going to happen. So when you live in constant anxiety, that's, that's stressful. And if, you, if we want to back up even more, what burnout actually is, it's chronic stress. So if you got that same stress again and again and again and again, day in and day out, you can absolutely burn out. Now, for each of these types that I'm going to share with you, it's not that they're bad. Like if you see yourself in in them, it's not that you're doing it wrong. It's not that you're bad. It's just that they have their gifts, which we can see when you're out of stress mode. And the goal is to understand where did you go wrong so that you can get back into the gifts, right? Because when you're in stress mode, that's when everything starts to break apart. So the perfectionists do amazing work. They just have to know how to not over perfect. In other words, maybe you pick and choose which things you give that kind of attention to. And the other things that you're working on don't all need to have that level of detail, right? So you take a lot of the pressure off and then you can do amazing things in the world without getting to the point where it's overwhelming and and burning you out. So that's an example, right? Then we have the feeler. So the feelers are the people who are, as you mentioned, highly emotional. They care very much about other people and what other people think, and they want to please. And so they're going out there to take care of everybody. And they feel guilty about taking care of themselves because they their kind of motto is, well, if I do that, I'm taking resources, time, energy, whatever it is, away from being able to help somebody else. And why is it so important for mm-hmm. them to help other people and to make sure that other people are taken care of, that, that they like them? Is because precisely that. They, they want to be approved of. They want that, as you call it, like the permission, the seal of approval. To, they want to be liked. And then what they find out the hard way is that it's exhausting to constantly be helping everybody else. It's exhausting to constantly be worried about what everybody else thinks. And then maybe there's like this part of you that's waiting for the other person to reciprocate. And when they don't, then you end up feeling kind of resentful. Like, you know, I do all this stuff for everybody else and nobody seems to care, you know, like, (laughs) right. Like you, you get it, you get angry. And, um, and then sometimes from that angry place, you might retaliate or do or say something that you regret. And so what happens Then you feel guilty and then you have to overcompensate to kind of get back in everybody's good graces. And so you're stuck in that cycle of constant like guilt and resentment and guilt and resentment. And and, right. And so you can understand why people like that burn out, not to mention the fact that they don't really take care of themselves often because they're focused on everybody else. So without the self-care and the constant kind of need to please, uh, we can absolutely burn out. So that's the feeler. 
Oh my gosh. As you're describing that, I feel like you're describing my entire life experience and I'm exhausted just listening to you talk about it. So imagine <laughs> going through that for so long, Right. but it is exhausting. It is exhausting. Point. It is exhausting. Um, and then the third type is the doer. And those are the people who, as you mentioned, feel like they have something to prove. Those are the people who are constantly on the hamster wheel they always have to achieve the next thing the next thing and and the kind of lie that they tell themselves is when i finish this then i'll finally take that vacation or reward myself in some way shape or form but then when they get there they don't really celebrate the win because there's always 12 other things that they have to do and so we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. that you know we just have to do this thing and we feel good we feel pride when we accomplish things But again, if you're constantly on that hamster wheel of having to do another thing and another thing and another thing, we never really arrive. This is what they call the arrival fallacy, right? So um, you can imagine why somebody like that might burn out. And what I found is very interesting um, is while um, each of these types may burn out for their own reasons, they also sometimes burn out differently. And what I find with the doers is the doers don't listen to their bodies And so they're the ones that tend to push the hardest and their bodies start to fall apart. And those are the folks that the version of burnout you often see is the guy or gal who ends up being hospitalized like three times before the message finally sinks in that they got to like ease up. Right. So they they really need their body to be screaming at them for them to finally listen and that's that's kind of an interesting thing. If you if you find yourself, you know, in that situation, then it's really like and, and this is what I say to all of my clients. I think burnout is a blessing because it forces you to slow down, to rethink what you're doing and to make better decisions that are more aligned with what you really want. I mean, we saw this during COVID. So many people were like Why am I doing this? I don't even like doing this work. I can live anywhere. Why am I living here? Let me just move somewhere where I really want to live. Like we we started to get more in touch with our values. And I think that is a great reminder of what we should be striving for. We should be striving for a life that we love. We should be striving for balance. We should be striving for joy. And I think the way we're kind of programmed often, even though it's, it's not often spoken about or could be like on a sub, like in a sub context is that we have to be successful. As you said, that's, what's important. We have to be successful. And there's this kind of myth out there that once you're successful, then everything else is going to line up for you. You'll be so happy. You'll have the life everybody envies. And that's the ultimate goal. And then when we get there, we find out we're miserable, we're overweight, we're exhausted, our marriage is falling apart, our kids don't know who we are. You know, it's like, it's a lie. It's not what we really need to go after, right? And so I want to come back, Brian, to your story of burnout. But before I do, I want to just give you a moment because I've been talking nonstop. I want to give you a moment to just um, chime in about the three types and kind of where you find yourself and what was perhaps helpful about hearing that framework. 
Yeah, that's it's so helpful everything that you've been saying and and the framework is super helpful because as I'm learning and I think this is just human tendency, we want to like connect dots. We want to be like, all right, I experienced burnout because of this, this and this. And it's just there's so many factors. It's such a complex issue. And so being able to put it into kind of a manageable framework is really helpful. So I appreciate you sharing that. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on was, you know, we talked about what basically what I described, you know, never fitting in, very emotional, feeling like I'm not enough. Those are all the internal factors that made me more prone as an individual to experiencing burnout. But then there were the external factors as well that you described. You know, I, I did have a couple of toxic workplaces that I was a part of. Tough for me to fit in in, in those situations. Then you mentioned, you know, getting to a point where uh, the body breaks down and, and that's where you finally realize, OK, this is something I need to address. Well, for me, it was my you know, mental health breaking down. And that was something that I had experienced continuously over time. Nothing extreme, but kind of just like constant, I would say chronic anxiety that, that went along with my chronic stress. But then um, I, ex I, I was diagnosed with cancer and not even that like allowed me to slow down initially. Like I remember sitting in the doctor's office when I was first diagnosed and my first thought was like, oh shit, I have some sales meetings I'm supposed to travel to this week. What am I going to do? You know, because I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and it was a um, indolent form. So very slow growing and it wasn't like life-threatening. My doctor said, you know, this is something with today's medicine, you'll probably live another three decades. And so I didn't really like take it seriously. Well, then um, actually a couple of years ago, like after going through COVID and, you know, reflecting a little bit more, being home with my family more, uh, I actually experienced a cancer relapse and it relapsed as a very aggressive form of lymphoma, which required surgery to remove a giant lymph node. It required six rounds of chemotherapy. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> time to slow down. Right. So to your point about event, sometimes it takes that extreme event for you to slow down. And that's what I've been doing for, you know, the last three years since I quit my job it is just slowing down so that I can transform my life and live a life that's more fulfilling. Um, and that's what I want to help people do. Like, that's the whole purpose behind my financial planning business is like to help people to make that transformation. So I just found everything that you're talking about really resonates with me. And and helps me a lot. So I hope it helps the listeners as well. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And this is the reality of the situation is that we're not just workers, we're human beings and we have real stressors outside of work. And I just looked it up. 1.9 million people get diagnosed with cancer every year. 1.9 mm. million. So, and that's just cancer. I mean, there's like a gazillion other things that happen to us, right? So we have a lot of stress in our life and we have to figure out how to manage it and get ahead of it so that it doesn't get ahead of us, you know, and that's really the key. Um, and so I want to now talk about what you shared in terms of your burnout journey and some of the contributing factors um, and I think this will be helpful for the listeners if they've got a similar story, or maybe there'll be some takeaways that, 
um, are kind of universal. But what actually struck me, which is interesting, and 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 I do want to mention this. While I mentioned there are these three types, if you will, um, that you can have more than one or even all three. Um, and the way that I like to think about it is that if it was, think of like an electric panel where you've got a lot of appliances plugged into the wall. And then, you know, sometimes there's like the, the surge break in it and like you lose power. Right. And what it means is that you just have to, you just have to unplug more appliances from the wall to kind of reset. Right. It's like you, you're draining Mm -hmm. the system. You're taking too much energy all at once. It just means that you have more things to unplug. Right. So we started out by talking about how you never felt like you fit in and what is potentially interesting about that and something for you to note is that it's possible that on a subconscious level, you seek out situations where you're replaying the same scenario. Maybe you look for situations unknowingly that are toxic, where you're not going to fit in or something like that. So if that's a pattern where you find that's happening again and again, you want to look at what did all of these situations have in common? And that could be a really great, you talked about self-awareness earlier, that could be a great way for you to know what to avoid moving forward. Like if you're going to the next scenario situation, like who are my people, right? Like, did you find your people? That's that when you, when you finally find your people, it's like, Oh, I feel like I'm home finally. Like that is such a good feeling. So figuring out who those people Mm -hmm. are and seeking out specific situations, whether it's work or friends or whatever that fit that, because then, you know, that's more fitting and you know, it doesn't work already. Um, you said you chose your career because of what you were hoping it would lead to in terms of other people's perception of you. And I think that is something that we do when what other people think is important because we don't feel like we're enough. We need other people to approve of us, right? That's um, very much like the doer who's got their self-worth wrapped up in their productivity, right? It's very similar to that. So for that, I would say you really want to work on just feeling good about who you are, just feeling like it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks because truth be told, I mean, it's your life, They may not understand. They may make different decisions than you, but that's because that serves them. You don't have to live their life. You have to live your own. And that's why it's important to figure out what are your values? What are the passions that you hold? What are the things that interest you? How do you want to spend your time, your energy, all your resources? That's important, not what anybody else thinks, you know? Um, And some of us are luckier than others to have support systems that, allow us to go into the unknown territories and say, you know what, you know, we've got your back and we're proud of you no matter what. And others don't have that. So it's a little bit harder when you don't have it, but you have to figure out how to have your own back. That's really important. You also said you're a highly emotional person. There is, I don't know if you've heard of this, there's something called an HSP, highly sensitive person. And those are folks who tend to be more sensitive than 
the general population. And there's actually a quiz online where you can answer a few questions and it'll tell you what your score is in terms of the HSP thing. Um, but it's a real thing and there's a book on it and there's like all kinds of things about it, which if, if your listeners don't know about it, I highly recommend checking that out because it helps explain a lot of things. Again, it's about, you know, we talked about having the word burnout to explain things. This is, this is a, you know, a, not a diagnosis, but it's kind of like a terminology that you understand, like, okay, there are other people like me in the world and we're not like everybody else. And other people who don't have this don't understand why we are, you know, as sensitive to other things, you know, to things that other people aren't as sensitive to. And that means that maybe you're more sensitive to smells. Maybe you're more sensitive to um, the way that people say things or, you know, you absorb other people's energies more and you're very affected by the environment where other people are less so or whatever it is. So, so figuring that out is another thing with regards to self-awareness that I think would be really helpful. And lastly, you talked about feeling like you weren't enough and you needed to prove something. And that is absolutely along the lines of what we talked about before with the doer. And, you know, again, with that, it's about feeling, getting to a point where you feel like you have value, that you are worthy without having to prove anything, simply for just being a human. You know, I think we're conditioned to believe that we're only valuable if we do something, if we accomplish something. And it's nice to have accomplishments. Don't get me wrong. It feels really good to know that you had set an intention, that you took some action, and that you accomplished your goals. And we're all about that. I think we're driven. We have motivation simply so that we can do something in our lives. Like It gives us a sense of purpose. It's really important. But it doesn't have to define who we are and how we feel about ourselves. And so it's about getting off the treadmill. It's about saying like, what do I want to do? Like you talked about, I want to have this impact. I want to share things with the world. I want to make the world a better place um, from, you know, your platform. This is your platform. This is what you're doing to share um, your message with the world, which is a beautiful thing. And if it feels right and it feels good to you, then that's great. You're on the right path. Um, it's, But it doesn't have to mean that if, you know, you do something you know, you might put out a podcast and not a lot of downloads happen or um, you give people a call to action and nobody follows up with you or so, you know, like it, it, it may not transpire the way that you want it to, but that doesn't take away from your worth. Doesn't mean that you, you know, if you're not successful at something that you try, that you're a failure or that you're a loser or whatever, you know, your brain kind of throws out these, these very negative terms sometimes, you know, again, coming back to this idea that we tend to beat ourselves up. Um, I think that that's where the self-compassion has to come in. It's like that, you know, all I, all I have control over is what I do and I'm going to do the thing that feels good for me because this is my life and this is the life I want to create for myself. And some things are going to work better than others, but it's all about learning. It's all it is. Like if I do something and it doesn't work, I learn how to do it different. I learn how to improve one step mm -hmm. at a time. There's nobody handing us the success manual that says, if you follow these steps, you'll guaranteed success. No, it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, we have to learn 
through experience. And um, as entrepreneurs, that's it. Like we don't have anybody else doing, you know, giving us the framework, giving us the structure. We have to create all of it. So um, I hope that's helpful, Brian, and thinking about your own burnout journey and some of the things that could be helpful in maybe uh, approaching life a little bit differently to prevent it from happening again. Yes, thank you. It's super helpful. And <clears throat> it's funny you brought up the the podcast, you know, and how you might not get a whole lot of downloads initially, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. And this really hits home with me because my whole mindset about this podcast is it's not about business development. You know, I think a lot of people start a podcast because they think, you know, they're going to get lots of new clients, they're going to network and they're going to get more business out of it. And yeah, that stuff might happen, but I'm looking at it purely from personal development, not business development. Like I'm a natural introvert. Conversations with people drain me and I have to recharge. And I understand that about myself. So like this is something I enjoy doing. I enjoy having meaningful conversations with people versus a whole lot of surface level small talk conversations. And um, it's getting me um, better at communicating, which is leading to better conversations with you know, prospects and clients. And if I can have better conversations with clients, then I can have a, a more of an impact on their lives. And if I can do that, then my business will grow. And so like I look at this podcast and it's like, I don't care who's downloading it right now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do. I know there's some people who are and, you know, th these people resonate deeply with with what we're doing here. And I really appreciate that. But at the same time, my goal is three years from now to look back and say, you know what? I did it. I did it every week. I was consistent. I don't know if it was good or not, but I know that I got better each week. And, and I think that's just a much better mindset now to focus on the, pro uh, the process versus the outcome, whereas historically, it was always about the out outcome first. Yeah. I mean, there's so many golden nuggets in what you just said. Um, that I just want to go back and highlight that for the listeners, because what you're saying is you went from being this person who really cared about what people thought and about the importance of success to now focusing on your own. Pa this is a passion project for you, Brian. Right. And it's like if it never leads to a dollar, it doesn't matter because that's not what this is about. And that in and of itself is wonderful because we also know that. Um, whatever else you do outside of this podcast, which is your your actual business, um, sometimes work can be draining, exhausting, stressful, what have you. And sometimes having a passion project is the thing that energizes you to then go and do the work outside. So, mm. so it, it can serve also in that way, which is really lovely. Um, in addition, you know, if you were somebody who felt like you didn't fit in, um, then what you're doing is you're creating an environment where you get to control who you talk to, how long you talk to them for, um, what you talk about, you know, and, and it's creating an environment where you feel safe and comfortable. And finally, the last thing I want to share is that simply by doing this podcast on a weekly basis, you're practicing communication skills. And what I found is I've been doing my podcast for, I don't know, three years or something. Um, just doing that every week, it's, I'm a, I'm a professional speaker and 
um, I'm practicing speaking every single week, you know, mm -hmm. and it, yeah, I don't, I don't get paid for the podcast. You know, it's not like when I go up on stage and I do a keynote, I get, I get paid for that, but it's, it's a way for me to continue to practice those skills so that when I do get up on the stage, I'm sharp because I kept going at it every single week. So you're also practicing your communication skills. You're practicing your speaking skills. And as you mentioned, that comes in handy now when you're doing a sales call with the potential client, when you're doing social media or whatever you're doing, like it does, it's a skill that you're honing. So there's so many beautiful things that happen from this one thing. So something you mentioned, Sharon, was um, this transformation from where I was before, where I was so worried about what everyone thinks to where I am now, where I'm just doing this and I don't care and I'm just going to do it for me. And that's a huge transformation. When I look back on that, I'm really proud of the transformation that I've made. But I think so often we're so focused on where we're headed and what we want to achieve that we don't like celebrate the wins and, and you know, be proud of ourselves, which is going to then make us more driven and more productive to do good work, which is going to lead to good outcomes. And like that whole transformation for me is a result of cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, that, that mm. has, is helping me to accept and, and work on my personal propensity to experience burnout. And mm -hmm. I actually think CBT is beneficial for anyone like I was dealing with mental health struggles. I got to a point where I was like, I have to address this. But I think whether you're experiencing mental health struggles or not, I think CBT is so valuable to, to do what you had uh, mentioned earlier, which is live in alignment with your values, like live a more intentional life that's in alignment with your values. So I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on uh, cognitive behavioral therapy a little bit. Yeah, uh, I think it's a very powerful tool and I definitely teach a lot of it to my clients because, you know, and actually one of the things that I say, I teach a lot of different skills when it comes to burnout recovery um, because these are life skills. Um, and I kind of put CBT under the um, the heading of emotional intelligence because it's incorporating, I mean, you have to have self-awareness as you keep talking about um, of what your thoughts are. But once you have that self-awareness, it's about what do you do with it? And that's where CBT comes in. So CBT is about saying to yourself, well, there's a situation and there's the perception of that situation, which is my thoughts or my interpretation and the meaning that I make out of it. And then that actually is directly tied to how I feel. And usually we don't realize that there's that intermediary step. And so what we do is we think, you know, there's a situation and it's making me feel X, right? And we, we say this a lot in conversation, like you're making me so angry. And it's not something that the person did that made you angry. It's what you thought about what the person did that made you angry. And why that's important is because if the latter, uh, sorry, if the former were true, then you really don't have control over the situation because you don't, you can, you don't control other people. You can't make the person change. However, if the latter is true, which means that you have a thought, an intermediary step between the event and the feeling, then you do have control because you can change how you think about what the other person is doing. 
Now I have a teenager at home, so I've got a lot of practice with this and I'm, you know, dealing with a lot of frustrations on a daily basis. And this is what I have to constantly bring myself back to. It's like, rather than getting angry, um, I have to, I have to say to myself, something like, oh, there she goes again, you know, or she's doing that teenager thing that they all do. You know, you have to, you have to take, you know, a lot of times we personalize things. We're like, oh, you know, this, this means that they don't like me. This means that I, I suck. This means that I'm not going to get the, the client, whatever it is. We make it about ourselves a lot of the time. And that becomes really stressful and it can lead us down this very negative spiral. But if we can see what the thought is, we can also recognize that we have a choice in how we think about things. And by changing the thought, you can change how you feel. So you may not be able to change the circumstance. And we actually, this is a perfect example. We saw this during COVID. We had one situation across the globe, which is COVID happened right? And it meant that we had to change a lot of how we do business. It changed how how much we were able to leave our homes and how much we were able to gather with other people. And you saw some people completely melting down. Like I had clients who were in total panic mode, feeling trapped in their homes and feeling like so resentful of the situation. And then we had people who were using it as an opportunity to reinvent themselves. I was getting emails from like plumbers and saying like, well, you're home now all the time. Does your toilet need fixing? You know, like Hmm. there were people who were looking for the opportunity and there were people who were just looking at it as a threat. And so what I think is important is to remember that we always have a choice in how we think about the things that are happening to us, even when we think we don't have a choice, we always have a choice and we may not be able to change their circumstances, but we can always change our thinking, which will then lead to the kinds of emotions that we want to feel. And that emotion is going to drive the behavior, which will then lead us closer to the outcome and the result that we want to create in the world. So we have a lot more control than we realize. And we have to learn how to take control of our mind in order to get the outcome that we want. And oftentimes I'll ask my clients, how do you want to feel about the situation? Like we're not going to make COVID go away, but given the fact that you have to stay home and you can't go out and you have to work from your laptop now on zoom, how do you want to feel about that? And they will be like, well, I just want to feel calm. I just want to be at peace. I'm like, great. What would you need to think mm-hmm. about working from home because it's COVID to feel at peace? And then they come up with the thought like, oh, that, you know, this isn't forever, that it's it could be a lot worse or whatever the thought is, you know, that gives them a sense of peace. Oh, I get to spend more time with my family this way or whatever it is, right? It's a reframe. Um, and that that's the work that I think is crucial to burnout recovery. And I think it's also really crucial for burnout prevention because when we don't do this work, that's where we feel stressed out about everything that's happening. And that stress accumulates over time, becomes chronic, and we know what chronic stress actually leads to. 
Yeah, they, I think the key there, at least for me, the way I perceive it is um, like being at peace. You know, when you're at that point where you're just at peace with who you are and what you're working on every day and who you're spending your time with, you can get to a point where you're just like, you know, who cares? <laughs> you know, you, you, you can kind of dismiss things that are, are not really essential. Um, this has helped for me a lot with worrying about what other people think. Like I've gotten to a place where I'm just like, you know what, if somebody is offended by something I said or doesn't like me, you know, yes, of course, I'm going to try to be con as considerate as I can of other people. But if, if they're going to be upset with who I am, then maybe I just don't need that person in my life, you know, because I have no ill will, you know, so I, I think being at peace does help you to, to kind of, to your point, control your reactions to, to external stimulus. So this has been a really helpful conversation. Thanks so much again for coming on, uh, Dr. Grossman. For somebody who is experiencing, I, I thought we could end on this, for somebody who's experiencing, you know, chronic stress at work, what can they do? Because it's a long process, but like, what can they do initially to just kind of get the ball rolling in the right direction? And then, you know, can, can you, of course, share like where the listeners can find some more information if they want to learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So, I mean, I always recommend... I always start with like, what are the most readily available and free resources out there? Um, and I certainly try to create as many of them for the public as possible. So um, I will um, mention the Decode Your Burnout podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about these three burnout profiles that we talked about today. Um, and it's an opportunity to hear other people's versions of burnout because whatever Brian shared may not resonate with you and your version. Um, so that's a free resource. Um, I've also got a checklist, a burnout checklist on my website. So if you want to find out, like, are you burned out? And if you are kind of like what to do and next steps, that's a free download. It's at drsharongrossman.com um, forward slash burnout checklist. So that's available for you as well. Um, if you're interested in learning just some like quick mindset shifts around stress, I actually just released a book called The Stress Advantage, which um, talks about uh, these three different uh, ways that stress can actually benefit us. And the key here is how do you keep it in an acute state and not let it get to a chronic state? So if we can learn to to turn stress around to work for us. Um, I think that can be a great burnout prevention strategy. And then for people who are already burned out and trying to figure out like, how do I get myself out of this? Um, I have another book, which is called the seven E solution to burnout. And this is more of a, as you can see, a, a, for those watching, it's a, it's a really long read as opposed to the stress book, which is a very short read. Uh, but this is going to be your kind of blueprint step-by-step -step process. And um, that at the moment is only available on my website. So again, go to drsharongrossman.com and um, you will find it under books and uh, I will happily endorse it for you and mail it out to you personally. So those, those are the things to probably start with. And there's a lot other resources on my website as well. All right. Well, guys, this is very, very uh, valuable 
information, valuable resources. There aren't many people out there who understand burnout and can help you through it like Dr. Grossman. So uh, we'll make sure that those links are all in the show notes so that the listeners can access uh, those great resources. So again, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. We'll have to have another one sometime. Thank you so much, Brian. Enjoyed it as well. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.